0: This is bonus content on Christian Travelers Network. Today, Dr. Tim McFarlane joins us to talk about the coronavirus.
1: Is all the toilet paper in the world made in China? Ooh. I mean, why why is there no toilet paper? I don't get it.
0: Welcome to the Christian Travelers Network, where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Hey, Christian travelers, all around the globe, we are being affected by COVID-19, and it is so hyped up on social media that it becomes hard to tell what is truth and what is fiction. And so we have Dr. Tim McFarland, who is going to be joining us today to talk a little about those unknowns and how we can be responding. Hey, Tim, how's it going? It's going well. Good. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice?
1: Sure, Sarah. Uh, I'm Dr. Tim McFarland. I'm board certified in family practice. I've been a physician for over 35 years. Over 30 of those were in private practice, small town. I delivered babies, did C-sections, surgeries, um, office, nursing home. And the last two and a half years, I've been working as a hospitalist and an emergency room physician.
0: And have you experienced the coronavirus at, in your hospital?
1: Uh, we've tested four patients in our small little hospital. Those four have all been negative. We did have a patient that was tested in the emergency room, was not ill enough to be admitted, and she was sent home to home quarantine, and her test did come back positive.
0: So a lot of people don't really know much about this virus, Um what can you tell us just off the bat?
1: Well, I'd like to just take a second to explain the difference between bacterial infections and viral infections. Uh, Bacteria infections are caused by bacteria that have their own nucleus, their own cell, they invade your body, but they uh, make you sick, but we can use antibiotics that kill the bacteria. Viruses actually use our cells to replicate and so it's much different to treat a viral infection because of that because we can't give you a medicine to kill all your cells that would get rid of the virus but it's bad for the patient so uh that's why if you notice like hepatitis C is a a, a well-known virus and we now have a treatment for it but it you know it's 3 months they're getting shorter they're getting better but it it's not been treated for decades, because treating a virus is completely different because it's a protein-covered piece of RNA nucleus material, and it invades your cells and replicates using your cells' uh, energy and resources and mechanisms.
0: You said something interesting about the bacteria. It made me stop and wonder, we're talking a lot about hand sanitizing and washing down surfaces. Does that, is that treated differently from bacteria to virus, or is that just kind of across the board? I know it's good to wash your hands, but.
1: It's across the board. You'll see kills 99.9% of germs or whatever's on the little description of the product. Uh, But there isn't a medical word called germs. There's bacteria and viruses. There's full molds, fungus, whatever. So you're killing germs. You're killing both. So you do decrease your viral exposure load and your bacterial exposure load by washing your hands, by using hand sanitizer, by wiping down surfaces. So people need to understand that there's lots of viruses that cause flus and colds, and there's some slight differences, but technically they're sort of in the same realm of an infection from a viral infection. And so there's like over 200 Coxsackie viruses, there's four coronaviruses, and they cause the flu or colds, and they keep changing or mutating from time to time. And so if you have a major shift in the flu, you'll have a bad outbreak, and this happens about every five to 10 years. And that's the other reason why you have to get a flu vaccine every year. Sometimes the flu vaccine, quote, doesn't work, or sometimes it's a really bad flu, and that's because there may have been a little bit more change in the genome, uh, the RNA material, or the protein uh, that surrounds it on the virus.
0: Does having the flu shot have any impact on your likelihood of getting the coronavirus?
1: No, unfortunately, that's why you have to have a different flu vaccine every year, because as the virus mutates and changes, the flu vaccine becomes less and less potent or effective. And what happens is uh another thing that can happen is you can have viruses that will inhabit and infect animals and humans mm-hmm. and so you can spread some colds to your dog and your dog can maybe spread some colds to you there's a lot of viruses though that don't transmit from animals to humans or vice versa so you may have a different virus that's causing a cold or a flu and your dog can't get it so About every 10 to 15 years more recently, there's been a new virus that mutates and is only in animals and all of a sudden it jumps to humans. So the first thing that we want to do is can it spread to humans to the next human? Or does for me to get the infection, do I have to go be next to that animal that gave it to the first person? So... I said earlier we have four coronaviruses, well now we have number five. And so what happened in China was that a person got a a strange flu that particularly was deadly to elderly patients and an astute doctor thought something's different, this isn't quite right. And he alerted some officials who, as you might think could happen in China, they were like, no, there's nothing to this. And finally, it became obvious that something was going on. So they did testing, and so they came up with a new corona. So at first, you may have heard the word novel. It's not like a long story that you read. Novel, and that understanding means that it's it's new. It's a novel. It's a new coronavirus. And it was found in the end of 2019. So it became novel corona 19. And now it's more appropriately called COVID-19, which is coronaviral infectious disease and found in the year 19. So that's where the 19 is.
0: What are the symptoms then of COVID-19?
1: So COVID-19 is exactly the same as a cold or the flu. Um, A lot of people don't realize how serious the flu is, not the corona, the, the traditional flu that we get every winter. We had 30,000 deaths this past year in the United States from the flu, and there's a flu vaccine available. A lot of people are like, well, it only works half the time. Well, if that's even true, so if you could drop that death rate from 30,000 to 15,000, that'd be fantastic, but a lot of people still don't get the flu vaccine. The other thing that's particularly worrisome about the traditional flu is it has a high death rate in the elderly as does COVID-19 but it also has a significant death rate not nearly as bad in children and the COVID-19 doesn't hasn't killed anyone below the age of 10 Um, so that's great for the children unfortunately it's probably worse for the elderly because there's a lot of people that will be younger may be contagious and have no symptoms or a little cough or a little cold, scratchy throat, and but they're in and out and about, and they're seeing elderly people, and they're seeing their grandparents, and then two weeks later, they're, an elderly person is very ill with the COVID-19.
0: So do you believe that the measures that our country is taking to be in more isolation is beneficial or exaggerated?
1: Yes and no. Let's say this. We cannot be so isolated and so germphobic that we could ever say, oh, we're going to do a lot better job this next winter and we won't have anyone get the flu. The problem with taking that approach is You have to be so germ phobic that there is nothing done and that isn't very productive. Let me explain a little related item, and that is the flu has a contagious rate of about one to two percent. The COVID-19 has a a contagious rate of about two to four percent. So let's say it's twice as contagious, and particularly for the elderly, it has a death rate that's about twice as much as the influenza, the flu. So if you have 30,000 people die from the flu, and this is twice as contagious, that's 60,000, and it's twice as deadly, so that's 120,000. So if we could work hard to decrease the flu from 30,000 deaths to 15,000 deaths, that would be great and we maybe can do that with the coronavirus. And so distancing, hygiene, uh, washing your hands for 20 seconds, using or using hand sanitizer, um, staying six feet apart or further uh, can be very helpful. Is it going to cut the coronavirus infectious rate to zero? No, it won't, but it will help. Um, And then you know, people just have to decide, hey, this is the risk I'm willing to take. I'm going to stay inside. I'm going to order food to be delivered to my house and have them set it on the front porch and let it sit there for two hours to let the coronaviruses die in case there was any on the delivery man's hands. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to go out there and get it and bring it inside. And and that's it. You have a very low chance of getting the coronavirus, but that is that's ne- not necessarily a very healthy emotional lifestyle.
0: Is that how long the virus lasts on a surface? Two hours?
1: Okay. Well, uh, interesting question. That's a little bit more complicated to answer. Viruses <laughs> in general, we're still learning about coronaviruses, about the COVID-19, but viruses in general do not like being dried out. They they do not survive. So uh, your survival time for a virus And we assume the same thing on COVID-19 is that on materials that absorb the moisture and dry out quickly, the survival rate will be two to four hours. Okay, so that's um, clothing, cardboard, paper, things that moisture evaporates from more slowly that are non-absorbent, such as stainless steel or porcelain, uh, tile, that water will evaporate and leave the COVID-19 virus much more slowly. It may survive four, six, up to 24 hours.
0: Um, You mentioned that it is twice as deadly as the flu. There are all kinds of different statistics out there, um, and the highest I've seen is 10. Um, Is that inflated based on the number of cases and the testing that we've had? or?
1: Unfortunately, the answer is not known yet, okay? In the United States, we're producing more tests and we're turning, we're getting a turnaround time that's much more rapid. But we still don't have enough tests available to test as many people as we really need to know have COVID-19 and we're not knowing who they are or where they are. So we're having to quarant- self-quarantine uh, and we don't really know how many people get mild infections. Uh, so this came out in China was that it had a 25% mortality rate initially was what it was feared. But the testing was only being done on patients who were so sick that they were already intubated. Well, if you're intubated and you're elderly, you have a 25% mortality rate. It doesn't matter the cause. So once they started realizing that there were people who needed to be tested and had COVID-19 that weren't on a respirator, those numbers started dropping dramatically. So as best we can really tell, looking at a broad numbers of testing like they've done in South Korea, you have a death rate of two to 4%. It looks like almost all of those death rates are for ill people over the age of 50, and almost all of them are over the age of 70. So if you're over the age of 80, you have a 15% death rate if you catch COVID.
0: What is the requirements for testing or how do you test?
1: Well, the test has evolved in the United States. The United States uh, public health sector is governed by the CDC. Mm -hmm. The rest of the world is governed by the organization abbreviated WHO—that's World Health Organization—and the WHO has done testing in all the rest of the world, uh, but the United States—we have to do everything our way because we're better. And so the CDC has developed their own testing. Unfortunately, the first set of testing that they came up with was slow, cumbersome, and not effective. So they had to recall them and start all over, uh, right. and that put us way behind on the testing. So right now we're getting testing, and as of two days ago, it was taking two to seven days to get a report back. Uh, Now we're getting reports back in six hours. Um, People did a test on this morning. So instead of testing with one machine, taking and doing tests and getting results out for four tests a day, they're able to do a thousand an hour per machine. Wow. So they warned that Today, you're going to see a tremendous spike in the number of positive COVIDs, but it's because there's been testing stockpiling that's been collected but not run for four or five days or longer. So when you start running a 1,000 tests an hour instead of one test for four hours, you start catching up in 24 hours on all these stockpiled results. So you're going to go from four positives one day to four positives one day to four positives one day to 2,000 positives in one day. So you just have to be careful. If you look at the raw data, you go, oh, my goodness, what a big spike in positive COVID. It's going to be 4 million in a week at this rate. That's not really analyzing the data correctly. So you have to be careful with the information and just realize, think of it as the flu on steroids times four. Right now, the test is to use a special Q-tip that you put up one nostril and goes into a certain medium and then is frozen and sent to a lab. The original test came out and it was up both nostrils and a different swab for your throat and a sputum collection, and we're not doing that test uh, anymore.
0: If someone were to get the COVID-19, what is the timeline for like from the time you might interact with someone or something to when you might start showing symptoms?
1: Okay, so it's a complicated question that I'm not for certain we have a good answer for. It looks like From your time of exposure and you technically contract COVID-19, it takes four days for you to have symptoms. That's called a prodrome. During that time, probably you're becoming contagious to other people the last two days. So days three and four, you may be shedding virus that other people could come in contact with and get infected, and you have no symptoms the next several days day 5 and 6 most people start to develop a cough chills and fever so that's the most common complaint that everyone has is fever over 101 and a cough that progresses and gets worse and worse but i said earlier that the younger you are you're almost have no death rate from it and you may not have any symptoms. In the United States, we don't have enough testing swabs, even though we can get the test done quickly, they're still behind in manufacturing the swabs. So we're not testing very many people. Uh, so we're, we don't know how long some of these uh, breaks are for sure.
0: How severe, um, you said that for most younger individuals, healthy, they uh, tend to have very minimal uh, symptoms, but worst case scenario, ultimately being death. But before that, what is kind of those symptoms looking like?
1: They're going to be the same symptoms as the flu. So fever, chills, cough achiness, the COVID-19 doesn't give a lot of runny nose or sinus congestion, doesn't give a a bad sore throat for most patients.
0: Uh, I've heard a lot of pneumonia. Is that like something as a result of COVID-19, but not actually part of?
1: Uh, no. So it, uh, as part of the cough, mm-hmm. um, it develops and progresses into pneumonia And that's what gives the shortness of breath and then the low oxygen. And then from that, that's where patients get into respiratory distress or end up in the hospital or end up intubated, or final result is death. So pneumonia is not something that you're going to say, oh, doctor, I've got pneumonia. You're going to say, oh, doctor, I've got a fever. I've been coughing for four days. I'm getting real winded. I can barely walk to the restroom without having to sit down and rest to catch my breath, something's wrong.
0: Some of the patients have recovered and have been released from quarantine. What are the requirements to be considered recovered?
1: Well, you have to get well. Uh, You have to be symptom-free, and then it's recommended that those patients should self-quarantine for 14 days. We remember earlier we were talking about the prodromal end, so now the question on the the patient exit end is, how long are you still spreading viruses after your symptoms resolve? And that's something we don't know, so we're thinking it's less than two weeks. As time progresses, we'll get more educated on, is it two days? Is it 10 days? Is it two weeks? Is it fluctuating? Some patients, maybe they feel great and are improved, and they don't have any viral shed, they're not contagious anymore after two days. And some patients, they feel great, they feel good, but oddly enough, they're still shedding viruses a month later.
0: I uh, have heard about a patient that potentially got the coronavirus for a second time. I think it was in China. Have you heard about that? Do you think that um, we build up immunity or can we get it again?
1: So... I keep hearing from the specialists that we're not for certain how long your immunity lasts. Uh, With most things, while you have to get the flu shot every year, while you can get the flu repeatedly or colds repeatedly, as I already said, there's a whole bunch of different viruses and these little boogers keep changing. And so they almost become a new virus in a year or five years or 10 years. And so to one specific virus, once you're immune to it, you've gotten over it, you cannot, in theory, get that virus again. You can get a different one that's a cousin to it, but not that identical one. So with COVID-19, there's some question as to whether you convert to a permanent immunity or not. Your initial immunity takes two weeks from first exposure to a new type of infection to develop. And then as it's starting to wear off in about two months, your body makes a different type of immunity that becomes more permanent for many people that last the rest of their life or at least for five years. And there seems to be some question about whether we're going to have COVID-19 will convert to permanent long-term immunity after two months. And that's why there's the question about we feel like you'll be immune for two months, but we're not for certain after that. Cause it's actually a, a different process that your body does to convert to a prominent resistance and immunity. And we've only had COVID in the human population that we've been studying it almost since January. So it's kind of hard to know what's happening three, two and a half months later.
0: Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you had a patient, in the ER who had COVID-19?
1: Yes. So I'm working in the hospitalist, taking care of patients in the hospital. And we've done some testing on four patients. And fortunately, those tests were all four negative. We had a patient that came into the emergency room that we tested, but she was not sick enough that she needed to be put in the hospital. Her oxygen was okay. Her lab work was okay. And so she was told to go home and self quarantine and her test came back positive so she was notified and the health department was notified and she'll have to start working through who all she may have exposed and they should self quarantine and the instructions when she was discharged from the emergency room was go to walmart buy pulse oximetry if your oxygen saturation goes below 88 then you need to return back to the emergency room or if your fever goes above 103. Even without a pulse ox, you can self-quarantine and you really do not need to go to the emergency room or to a hospital. If I have a cold, I wanna know if I have COVID. Well, the worst place you can be is around a lot of other sick people for them and for you. So by self-quarantining, that means that you should stay home stay away from everyone continue to do your hand washing hygiene and if you get if you don't have a pulse oximeter if you get so short of breath that by the time you walk from your bed to your bathroom you're winded then that means that your oxygen saturation is dropping with any activity and then you would need to go to the emergency room
0: along those lines of quarantine um I guess a lot of people are kind of taking on that mentality of isolation. Do you have any recommendations for them on just how to, I don't know, stay healthy uh, during this time physically, mentally, and then general maintenance of hygiene as well?
1: You know, one of the serious problems I'm concerned about with this outbreak is that we're going to have a lot of emotional uh, fallout from it. Yeah, by self-quarantining perfectly and becoming a hermit, most people do not emotionally do well. Uh, We're going to have a lot of economic fallout for the individual. You can't self-quarantine, and most people can't work from home. Some can. That's great. But if they can't, that's a personal economic compromise for them, and The economy of the world. So, if you self quarantine the world for two months, that's two months of business on a world global scale that's economically catastrophic. So, that's, you know, we've had the flu, it kills 30,000 people in the United States alone every winter. But people still go to work and still get out and about. Um, And so, yes, this is new, this is much more serious, and we don't have a vaccine, um, so we need to be prudent, and we need to be frugal on our social interactions, Um, but where's the limit on, yes, if you self-quarantine strictly, you have less and less chance of getting COVID-19. Where's the boundary, though, on having a lifestyle that doesn't also drive you crazy?
0: (laughs) Yes. Talking about the fact that it has impacts on our whole world, a lot of our listeners love traveling. What are some precautions you would take um, or suggest taking when it comes to travel? A lot of us are being cautioned not to travel unless it's absolutely necessary. But if they would have to travel, what would you suggest?
1: Well, I agree with for the next 2 months until we get a better handle on this, I agree with voluntarily not doing any unnecessary travel. Um, at the same time if you are going to travel, you want to look and see where your uh your destination what their COVID-19 is. You want to make sure you've got plenty of hand sanitizer. You want to distance yourself you should have some sort of mask if you're in a situation where there's a a lot of high density population whether that's in an airport which maybe isn't high density right now but if you travel overseas a lot of your metropolitan areas or have subways or trains and that's that's putting people in a high density situation
0: Despite all of the seriousness of this, we still, as Christians, have a hope. What is your view on God's role in this?
1: Well, I'd answer it two ways. One, to say God's role in it isn't anything. He made the world perfect. There weren't death. There weren't diseases. But sin entered the world, and it had catastrophic effects, and if we're not careful we'll focus so closely on a death rate from one illness that we forget that the biggest death rate is our spiritual death. And so uh I think we have a hope, as Paul explains, that the world shouldn't understand. And if we don't have a hope different from the world, we're probably missing some important spiritual lessons about all of life. That also I think this COVID-19 gives us some opportunities to share that hope. We can. This is an opportunity that a lot of people are thinking, taking serious thoughts about their life, the, their mortality, and uh, had a friend that is staying near the entrance to the grocery store and asking people, do you want me to pray for anything? What are you worried about today? And just saying that she'll be praying for them. Um, as churches aren't meeting, uh, we still need to remember our spiritual contacts are important. Uh, my wife took the opportunity to check on some widows in our congregation and our friends and see if they need anything and see ask them how they were doing. It's a lonely time, and uh, God is a comfort.
0: Yes, he is. And I agree. Uh, Satan wants this to be a time of fear and anxiety, but I really think God's going to pull us together in new and creative ways. And also, I feel like he's equipping us to outreach in ways we haven't thought about. Um, And he's removed a lot of our typical distractions, sports and sometimes even school and work. Um, Not saying that we shouldn't be having those things, but he's, he's opened a window that isn't typically there.
1: Yeah, and I think our society and myself, probably one of the worst is uh, what I call the the third seed, you know, the seeds that fell on the four different grounds. The third one fell on a seed and it sprouted and it grew up. But it clearly says when Jesus explains the parable to his disciples that the worries of the world and the enticement of riches choked out the spiritual growth of the third seed. and We need to focus on how can we move from being the third seed to the fourth seed where there's 30-fold and 100-fold return.
0: How have you personally seen God in COVID-19?
1: Well, I just love science, and it's just amazing to look at how we're made, how our immunity keeps us as well as it does, how. Some people, I think, oh, well, I'm a scientist. I can't have a faith because I study science and science is what's proven. Uh, And I look at it and go, wow, there's so many things that are just amazing that I I have to have faith in God. Um, And so the fact that we can get a new infection and develop immunity to it and recover from it is just a miracle.
0: Yes. Yes, it is. And it's so awesome how he blesses us with wisdom and knowledge and people to address those things, but it all comes from him. So we have really appreciated having you on this podcast, Tim. Where can our guests connect to, connect with you in the future?
1: Well, it turns out my wife and I have, as I said, have enjoyed uh, science and, and combining it with faith. And so we've about to launch our own podcast called Paradoxify where we plan to talk about the unexpected, particularly unexpected stories in STEM and faith, and STEMs being the topics of science, technology, engineering and math. And we'd love for your guests to visit our website, it's called paradoxify.com and uh, we've just set this up and we'll be doing our podcast episodes there. They can also your listeners can also email their STEM topic questions or question about the medical side of COVID-19 to ann at paradoxify.com.
0: Thank you so much. And I will put links to all of that information in the description notes below. Um, we have really enjoyed having you on here, Tim, and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us.
1: Great. Thank you. Have a great evening.
0: Thank you. Well, Christian travelers, so glad that you could tune in. I hope that you have learned something new, and in light of some of the scariness and fears that surround this situation, um, just know that God is still with us, and he is ultimately in control. Until next time, safe travels, and God bless.